This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Stu Friedman. Hey, welcome to Work and Life. It's a conversation in which we explore everything related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, our society, and you, your private self. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I founded our Work-Life Integration Project here at the Wharton School back in 1991 and our leadership program in the same year. And I've been doing work on leadership from the point of view of the whole person since then. And I am thrilled that you are listening. So thanks for joining me. Do you work with someone who is an asshole, who sends snippy emails or treats you in an uncivil way as your boss, someone you avoid because, I don't know, she's often in a bad mood, unapproachable, and just doesn't treat you like a human being? Maybe you have a coworker that's, that's kind of a jerk no matter what happens. How does this affect your life outside of work? How can you gain support and resources from the other parts of your life to help you deal with those kinds of problems? My guest tonight, I am so excited to have Christine Borath on the show. My guest, uh, Christine Porath, is, uh, Porath is, has done research for years on the costs of incivility, of being mean, and the benefits of being nice, of being civil, which seems like obvious and we should have all learned it in kindergarten, but... Clearly, if you look at our society today, very few of us have actually retained those, those lessons and used them in our daily life. So we're going to be talking about civility, its costs, its benefits, and much more interestingly probably to you, how to do a civility checkup, how you can become more civil and how you can gain all kinds of benefits in all the different parts of your life from, from doing so. Um, from from a master, Christine Porath. So I am thrilled to have her here. So many people have recommended that I get her on the show. Christine is, a, is an associate professor at the McDonough School of Business at George, uh, uh, Georgetown University, which is in Washington, D.C. Some people consider that a very uncivil place. So I'm going to be interested in Christine's views on just what it's like to live there. And she's the author of a fantastic book. You must get this. It's so easy to to consume and so incredibly useful. It's called Mastering Civility, a manifesto for the workplace. Yes, for our lives. We need it. More civility in our broken world. But before we start our conversation with, with uh, Christine, let me just tell you a little bit about her. In addition to what I just mentioned, Christine is also a consultant working with leading organizations to help them create a thriving civil workplace. She speaks, consults with companies like Google, the United Nations, well, organizations like the United Nations, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, Pixar, Genentech, great companies, great organizations. I'm sure there are many others. She's a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Psychology Today. She's written articles for the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, McKinsey Quarterly, the Washington Post, and her research has appeared in uh, all the great journals, Harvard Business Review, the Academy of Management Journal, 
and others, many others. And uh, she's also written other books. She's a co-author of one called The Cost of Bad Behavior. So without further ado, let me welcome Christine Porath. Welcome to Work and Life. Thank you, Stu. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great. It's great to have you here. Now, um, I, I just want to dive right into the question that grabbed my attention early in my read of Mastering Civility, and that is the essential question of this show, which we've been on for over four years now, and the, the, the core idea is how to help people answer the, the question, who do you want to be? So... Explain, if you would, to our listeners why that is the central question for you. Well, I think it's really a helpful question for me, whether it's in the moment. You know, if I am dealing with someone difficult or a challenging circumstance, you know, I kind of ask that before I lash out or maybe I'm less than civil or less than my best self. Um, but I also find it really useful in terms of a longer term. How do I want to live my life and who do I want to be and you know, how much do I want to give to others? Uh, do I care about lifting others up and things like that? So for me, it's it's helpful in the short and long term. You're also posing it as a central question for your readers. Absolutely. So I think that for me, I feel like it's the question that will define people's professional success, um, as well as an organization's culture, because I do think it comes down to these small moments you know, um, my friend Doug Conant calls them touch points, but, you know, these mm-hmm. daily interactions with others. And, you know, in every moment, we really do have a choice about whether you want to lift someone up or whether mm-hmm. we want to hold someone down so we can respect them and, you know, value them, appreciate them, hear them, or we can make them feel small, you know, disregarded, excluded, insulted. And uh, I think it's something that we have so many opportunities throughout the day to, to answer that question. Well, virtually every social encounter is an opportunity to be civil or not, to, to, to face that choice. And Doug Conant, by the way, has been on this show. Uh, and if you go to our podcast site, workinglifepodcast.com, there's a free version of that uh, conversation in which we talked about touch points. Um, every, every encounter, right, is an opportunity yeah. to advance the ideal of civility in our world. Absolutely. And I think, you know, now more than ever, uh, you know, even the moments that we have on social media, you know, and things like that. So I think that, um, you know, the online issue raises, it's more than just our daily interactions with Mm -hmm. people. It's, you know, interfacing with technology, you know, where people are going to um, see and or feel, you know, the effects that we Mm -hmm. leave. Well, I want to get to e-civility, which you write cogently about uh, near the end of of your book. But first, I'd like to step back a little bit. Uh, I didn't mention in my introduction that you were um, a a two-sport athlete in college. Do I have that right? Yes. What happened during your experiences as an athlete that helped to guide you in the direction of dedicating your professional life to the study of incivility? Well, uh, you know, sports is a passion of mine, and I was very fortunate to work for uh, one of the largest sports management marketing firms after graduating from college. And it was a great internship experience, but when I went to work for their subsidiary, 
it was a very toxic culture. Hmm. And so, you know, I saw how incivility uh, could affect people, not only in the workplace, and it happened to flow, you know, from kind of a narcissistic leader on down, Hmm. but also how people took it home with them. And so it really, it colored people's lives at work. And unfortunately, you know, people would take it out on others. So I do believe that we become carriers of this. When you you say, I'm sorry, uh, take it out on others, you mean others at home or others in the workplace or both? Both, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly at the workplace, and I would see that firsthand. You know, you just, you're not in the same mood. And and so it's not necessarily intentional, you know, but uh, we do see how it, it spirals to others. And um, you know, oftentimes it, to customers and clients too. So it it does become contagious, almost like a cold or a virus. There is an emotional contagion that spreads quite rapidly in a psychologically unsafe, toxic work environment, and that spills over into home life. So, is, what what do you have to say uh, about that? Just in terms of what you've observed in your research and what you know about the research of others about that. That, that negative spillover, as, as it's referred to in the work-life literature? Uh, well, sadly, we know from others' research, as well as uh, some of my own, that it, you definitely, whatever you pick up in the workplace, you know, as far as uh, this negative contagion or, you know, toxicity, we tend to take home with us and mm-hmm. take it out on others in our personal lives. Um, again, not that we mean to, but it, it certainly colors our day and our world. And, you know, unfortunately, there's, there is some research that shows that when we experience incivility in our family, for example, um, our personal life, that we do bring it forward to the workplace. Mm. So I, I think it flows both ways. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard for us to control that contagion. You know, it just, um, we feel it. Mm-hmm. And it in, infects our, our thinking and our mood, our affect and our capacity to contain our impulses and to try to to try to be civil uh before we go further though let's define terms uh what is civility in the workplace and and, yeah how do you how do you define the the idea uh well it's disrespect or rudeness uh and includes a lot of different behaviors you know um and that makes it tough because whether it's mocking or belittling people teasing Mm -hmm. people in ways that sting telling offensive Hmm. jokes uh, texting and meetings. The catch is that what may seem uncivil to one can seem absolutely fine to someone else. Did you just say that texting and meetings is an uncivil act? Well, well, it's all in the you eyes said of the beholder. That. Christine, did. did you say that? I did, I did. Well, I agree with you. I'm just yeah. playing devil's advocate here by, in, by underscoring <laughs> that point. Not devil's advocate, I'm supporting your idea. Well, I appreciate that. Well, say more. Uh, well, I, you know, it's really, it's, it's tough because what may seem uncivil to one can seem absolutely fine to someone else. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I think a, a great example is uh, take texting while someone's speaking. Wait, if, wait, what? I, I, uh, what? If, if someone is wait, texting. Wait, what? I, oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. I was <laughs> texting somebody. Just yeah. kidding. Folks, uh, yeah. that was an illustration of what, never mind. You know what I'm, yeah. I, anyway, yes, of course. Yes. So some of us, you know, find it really rude, and others may think it's absolutely civil, you know. So it really depends. It's all in the eyes of the beholder and whether someone felt disrespected. Well, you know, that I, I just came from my – I teach a leadership course that's about total leadership from the point of view of the whole mm-hmm. person. And just this last week, 
the, the, what we talked about for half the three-hour class today was the digital detox that my students just did this past week. They had to spend six hours off all screens during okay. some waking period during this past week. Wow. Yeah. And I also, was it? I, run, I also run a digital-free classroom. Oh, yes. I do as well. Figured. They hate me. <laughs> well, they hate you and they love you, though, don't they? I mean, do, do I they... Well, uh, my experience is that people appreciate it when you when you put those you know you put those compulsory lines in where, the, and I explain you know we're doing this because in order for this to be a fruitful learning community we need to be present here for each other right 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 yeah we do yeah. okay so how do we do that well <laughs> this is how we do it and and my experience is that when you point that out and you point out. You know, the the costs of incivility by by texting while somebody else is talking, for example, by simply illustrating it. Mm-hmm. I don't know many people who think that it's not that that it is okay to do that, right. even though it's yeah. normal, common, especially among younger people. It doesn't mean that it it doesn't hurt when somebody does that to you when they move their attention elsewhere. Yeah, and it, you know, there's some really interesting research recently that came out too that showed that just having a phone in between strangers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they you don't like the person as much, even if you don't know it's their phone, <laughs> and you know they're not on it. You don't like them, you don't trust them as much, you know, Amazing. those kind of things. And so you can imagine, like now I tell people, even put the phone away, you know, yes. don't have it sitting on the table, out of sight. So yeah. so incivility ranges everything from somebody texting in front of you to mocking you, maybe a small jibe. What, what else in, does incivility encompass? Well, I think, you know, withholding information, like if it's intentional, uh, that, that can be um, seen as, um, you know, uncivil, excluding people, you know, if people feel left out. Uh, if you take too much credit for collaborative work, uh, for example, or you pass the blame when you've contributed to a mistake. If you spread rumors, uh, if you keep people waiting needlessly, or um, email when face-to-face communication is needed, which wow. is a huge one that people admit to. So you just described what I've been doing all day. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, most of us, you know, we're not consistent on these mm-hmm. things, but it's uh, it's we're all a work in progress. I we think. are. We are. You know, my my goal for 2018 is to try to be a little bit less of an asshole this year. And <laughs> and just by my saying that, most people laugh when I say that, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, it's so hard. You have to work at it all the time. Do you find in your efforts to work with individuals and organizations to try to make a greater uh, expanse of civility in our world, do you find like that people are capable of becoming more civil? What does it take? I, yeah, I do. I think, um, well, it takes interest, and usually it takes some information, meaning like we all have blind spots, and the, so there are certain things that we do that may rub people the wrong way that we're completely unaware of. And so, you know, when I started this research, I, I really felt like, gosh, there's a lot of jerks in the workplace, and we really need to correct this. And where I've landed is I think – the vast majority of this stems from a lack of self-awareness. These are mm-hmm. things that we do unintentionally that, you know, bother people or frustrate them or mm. hurt them in very small ways, typically. And um, so, yeah, I think a big part of it is getting people information about what is it that 
could do, you know, to just tweak things. Um, and oftentimes it's, you know, a, a boss or a leader that's on their iPhone or computer while someone's talking. You know, they think that they're fighting fires and, you know, should always be on. And someone feels like, why aren't you paying attention to me? Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's getting the information and then wanting to improve to have better influence and effectiveness. Uh, and, you know, when we've surveyed people about why are you uncivil, about 60% say, you know, it's because they feel overwhelmed or stressed um, or, or they don't have time to be nice, which I don't think it takes more time necessarily in most cases. But mm. uh, nonetheless, but only 4% say because it's fun and they can get away with it. So <laughs> I, I think for the vast majority. Can you give me a list of who those people are so I can try to avoid them? <laughs> exactly. And so you're always going to have some small population mm-hmm. that, you know, it, you're not going to improve. Um, what I have heard has been effective, typically, like if you give people information, you get them a coach, you know, you really try to work out an improvement plan and they still just have no desire. Mm-hmm. The one thing that's helped is uh, holding them responsible for like it hits their paycheck. So in other words, in law firms, it was when firms withheld shares, you know, when they finally it, it hit that limit that then, you know, partners clicked in and actually started trying. And the same with some other kinds of professional service firms like that. So I think for, for many, you know, it's it's the bottom line. Like if it hits them mm-hmm. that way, they may change their behavior. For the, for the extreme cases. Folks, yes. you're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm talking with Christine Porath, who is a professor at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. And she's the author of a must-read book that is uh, helping people to become more human, as I'm going to capture my my take on what this is, uh, which which we, you know is in such short supply these days. It's called Mastering Civility, and we're talking about um, well, what what is incivility, and it can come in many many different forms, and what you can do to enhance civility. You know, we haven't talked yet, Christine, about why being civil pays. What have you found in your research about that? Well, uh, first of all, I think uh, the people that we found that are seen as more civil, they're twice as likely to be viewed as leaders. So, um, you know, that's certainly one benefit. They tend to perform better. So, for example, you know, in one of the firms we studied, it was 13% better. And mainly because people are more likely to share information with you and seek information from mm-hmm. you. They, they like dealing with you. Um, another reason why you gain these benefits is because people view you as both warm and competent. And typically we bucket people. You know, we don't think of them as both. And so mm-hmm. civility is one of the very few behaviors where you get the benefits of, of both. And so we are seeing that um, it, you know, it matters whether in a global context, whether in a, all different kinds of organizations, different MBA samples here and in Europe. Um, and, you know, one of the most powerful uh, studies that we did, we, we had leader behaviors, all different leader behaviors. And I was curious what mattered most to people. And the number one thing people wanted from their leaders was respect. It was you know, more important than uh, recognition and appreciation, than having an inspiring vision, than useful feedback. 
even opportunities for learning and growth. So, hmm. you know, those that feel respected by their leaders were 55% more engaged. They were um, far healthier. They were much more focused at work and far more likely to stay with their organization. So how do you help people in your book and in your other work to enhance their capacity to gain the benefits of civility? Uh, what, where, does, where does one start? So There are folks listening now who are thinking, yeah, I am kind of an asshole. I could, I could probably do with some, some upgrade in my civility index. Where do I begin? Yeah, well, I think, you know, some of the fundamentals, as is, is trivial as it sounds, are, you know, smiling universally. That scene is, you know, kind of a connection with people and your scene is warm. Um, so, you know, that can make a difference. Uh, certainly the idea of listening. I mean, you know, you you mentioned how you run the classroom, and mm-hmm. I do as well. And I think it's so challenging nowadays for people to tune in and pay attention. Yes. That listening is like one of the greatest gifts you can give people. (laughs) And so paying attention that way and even just acknowledging people, you know, whether you're passing them in the hallway or, you know, you're running into them almost literally Mm -hmm. um, makes a big difference. It really does. Yeah, those are, you know, a few of the things that I just say, just start with things like that, you know, really Mm -hmm. minor um, things that can make a difference to people. That cost you basically nothing. It could cost you nothing, exactly. And, you know, a lot of these things, you know, we talked about the negative effects of contagion, but there was a really uh, neat thing done down at Oshner Health System in Louisiana where they developed this 10-5 way. And what they asked people to do is if you're within 10 feet, make eye contact and smile. And if you're within 5 feet, say hello. And civility spread, patient satisfaction scores rose, as did patient referrals. Mm-hmm. And so I think it shows wow. that, you know, these little things that we can do really do spread well beyond, you know, just even within our workplace. So uh, I think just starting with some of the basics like that uh, really does help. So, so tell us more the, about the uh, civility checkup that you offer readers in uh, your book, Mastering Civility. How does that work? Uh, so it's basically just a really rather quick self-test, 32 mm-hmm. items. You can take it online, So, mm-hmm. um, and the online version gives you customized feedback about you know, how you're doing and, and literally some bullets about what you could do to improve mm-hmm. a few things mm-hmm. um, to, you know, again, make tweaks so that you come off more civil. Uh, and so the whole idea is just to kind of check out yourselves and think, you know, be more mindful of, you know, where are you less consistent in, in your days and in your dealings with people and how can you improve? It, it's like so much of what we talk about on the show. It begins with your taking seriously the idea that uh, you you can alter your, your mindset, your actions, uh, but it does take some uh, courage really to look at yourself. Yeah, I think so. And I also encourage people to think about, like, what are their triggers, you know, and... um, What do you mean by that? Well, what are are certain people kind of lead them to be less than their best self or Mm. do are certain circumstances or certain um, situations? You know, for me, for example... I was about to ask. (laughs) Go. I would have a long list. Uh, (laughs) I, I will keep it short. Really? Simple. Well, 
I mean, I think we're all a work in progress. I mean, the things that I realize where I'm, um, you know, less proud of my behavior usually can tie it to, for example, being very tired, um, you know, and and not kind of regulating myself as Mm -hmm. well as I could or just knowing I'm shorter in terms of patience Mm -hmm. and, you know, would would prefer to be friendlier or go the extra mile more consistently. But when you're when you're in that state, I think it is tougher. Um, I think for Mm -hmm. most of us, when we're stressed, you know, and as I get older, I kind of feel that coming on or I feel it in my body, like when I'm hitting, Hmm. you know, towards that breaking point a little bit. And then even for me, like reflecting on this, I think when we're at our best and less than our best is helpful because I'm a morning person. And so, you know, I, I would be do very well early on and, you know, after a good workout and things like that. Mm -hmm. But you catch me late afternoon and I really have to, you know, I mean, if I'm feeling pushed or feeling um, like the situation is such that I might respond negatively, Mm -hmm. particularly if I'm being pushed or challenged in a way that I I don't appreciate, then, you know, I, I have to be really mindful and regulate and think, you know, who do I want to be? You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? And Mm -hmm. particularly, you know, with email, you know, where do you find the strength to, uh, to ask yourself that question, to, to stop and Uh, think before acting impulsively, especially when you're tired. And I should note to listeners, it is, uh, you know, in the, in the evening hours and somehow Christine is, regulating her reactions to the annoying questions that I've been asking her. Uh, so, no, seriously, where do you, where do you uh, find the, you know, the, the, the wisdom and the discipline to, to pause? Uh, I think it, I try to develop a routine for that. You know, I just um, try to be more mindful, like I said. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I have the benefit of studying this, so I know the consequences. So mm-hmm. I am by no means... Um, perfect and very much a work in progress, but I have the benefit of knowing like the consequences, you know, how it's going to make others feel and what the ultimate response is and even how it's going to limit me, you know, from being as effective as I want to, you know, whether that's with students and teaching or whether it's uh, with leaders and organizations. So just trying to have the mindfulness or the presence to remind myself, you know, um, to stop before, you know, kind of doing something that I might regret and and holding on to those moments where I know what regret felt like, you know. Mm. Um, I think those are questions that I, I actually ask myself daily, you know, like what what worked and what didn't. And, and when it didn't, you know, what were the things that I, I wish I had done differently? And for me, that's helpful. So, so you're you're you've got you've built into the to the daily rituals of your life uh, opportunities for you to reflect on yeah. what you're learning along the way. Let's let's hold it at that because we are at the the halfway point, and you have graciously agreed to stay on in the second part of the show where we'll open the phone lines and invite people to call 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866, to speak with with me and Christine Porath, who is uh, one of the uh, leading thinkers and researchers and uh, practitioners in the art of civility. She's written a great book called Mastering Civility, and if you have questions 
about how you can become more civil or what we haven't talked about yet, which we will talk about in the second half, how you deal with people who are uncivil, which is rampant in our society, I would suggest. You might disagree, Christine. You'll tell me when we come back after this break. So, again, if you've got a question or a story to tell about incivility, either what you have perpetrated as an uncivil person or probably more likely where you have been having to bear the brunt of someone else's incivility and what that's done to you and your work and the rest of your life, We'd like to hear from you. It's 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. That's the number. So don't go away. Christine's staying with us. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to hearing your questions. And I've got a bunch more for Christine Porath, the author of Mastering Civility. So stay with us. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Stu Friedman. Hey, welcome back. And thanks for listening to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of our Work-Life Integration Project here at the Wharton School and our leadership program. And I'm so uh, grateful to Christine Porath for joining us on the show tonight. She's the author of Mastering Civility. And we've been talking about, well, what is civility and uh, the costs of incivility, uh, the benefits of civility to you, to your organization, to your life outside of work, and some ideas about what you can do to start to become more civil and perhaps help us to create a more civil society. But we just started talking about what do you do when you have to deal with someone who is not civil. So that's what I want to ask Christine about and perhaps hear your story about. But whatever you're interested in hearing us talk more about or if you've got a question, give us a call. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. It's Stu Friedman and Christine Porath, one of the leading thinkers on the question of how you deal with uncivil people. So what do you do, Christine? Well, I think it really depends if you're comfortable speaking to the person. About two-thirds of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, we find that it's someone more powerful, your leader or your leader's leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that case, it just may not make sense. You know, it's better to navigate the situation or to focus on yourself. But if you do feel comfortable... So hang on, when you say navigate the situation, what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I think um, you could talk to someone in HR. You could talk to um, a mentor, you know, about how to handle it. Mm -hmm. You could uh, report if you have 360 feedback or a means to, you know, report out on, you know, the individual. Mm -hmm. That would be another route. But, um, you know, hopefully you feel comfortable talking to the person. And if that's the case, uh, then, you know, I think that it's perfectly recommended that you would have a one-on-one conversation and really focus on, you know, being very specific about their behavior Mm -hmm. and how it makes you feel. Um, So trying not to make a character statement or put them on the defensive, but rather, you know, make it based on what the consequences are to you and or your team and organization. And 
you know, perhaps loop it back to them about how you think it's holding them back in some way, you know. Um, so th- th- that would be the, the goal. So but, but, go ahead. Sorry. No, Please continue. No, well, I was no, just going to say to emphasize how what you're trying to do is to be helpful and and protective at the same time, right? You you want to indicate the, the negative impact or consequence for you, but you also want to uh, speak in terms that are about trying to not just, uh, you know, get revenge, but rather to make things better. Right, exactly. And, and this is where I like that idea of radical candor has been written about, where you, you do care personally. And mm-hmm. so you want better, uh, certainly for yourself and your team, but mm-hmm. also for them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as you mentioned, you can try to make it a constructive discussion. Um, but yet also, you know, if you have to challenge someone, you have to give them the truth directly. Yes. And so I think oftentimes, you know, what I get around civility is, are you talking about not giving negative feedback or, you know, oh, just being sh- nice? Yeah. Or what, what Kim Scott it. calls uh, ruinous empathy. She was on the show not too long ago, oh, uh, the, the author of Radical Candor. And we talked about the tensions and, the, you know, how you try to get both caring and challenge you know, for right. the important relationships in your life. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think, it's not about it's not about avoiding negative feedback, is it, Christine? No, not at all. And so I, I really try to highlight that because I think oftentimes people think, oh, you know, civility is just about being nice. No, mm-hmm. there's a time and a place for, you know, coaching and negative feedback. And it's about if you I really feel like leaders in particular, they set the table such that if you're doing the little things, you know, and we've talked about some of them, the listening and, Mm -hmm. you know, connecting with people, then they give you the benefit of the doubt when you do give them the negative feedback. You know, they're Mm -hmm. much more inclined, I think, to be less defensive and to assume that you have their their best interests in mind. And so, you know, I do think that civility helps you with respect to delivering very negative feedback sure. in a way that people are more likely to embrace it and, and be more motivated to improve. Well, you're building trust. You're, you're building yep. the perception in other people and the reputation that you are someone whose interests are to be helpful to others and to help them to succeed. Exactly. And, that, and that you're not acting in a, in a selfish or self-aggrandizing way that, that harms others. And when you do that, I mean, you and I know the, the literature on, on trust building and leadership, that there's countless benefits. I mean, everything gets better. It's the, it's the leader's great currency. If people trust you, you can get everything done. If they don't, you can get nothing done. Right. So, folks, if you're listening... It, uh, you have an opportunity to speak to Christine Porath and me about civility and civility in your work and life and what you can do to deal with it and to to cultivate civility. The number, again, is 844-942-7866, 844-WHARTON. Uh, Greg, welcome to Work and Life. What's on your mind? Hi. I have a question or scenario to lay out and just Okay. I don't know how to deal with it. Um, so the civility issue is a great issue. I find this often comes up in the workplace, particularly when I'm managing the quote-unquote millennial employee. And my question kind of comes down to this, whether it's um, you're faulted for being a poor coach or, you know, we're not all saints and maybe we have a bad moment. Uh, how do you handle a situation where the employee who feels aggrieved is somebody who is, 
maybe a little thin-skinned or mm-hmm. just will hang on to that and not let it go despite all the other history you have, have with them. Great question. Greg, uh, thank you for, for asking. Christine, what more do you want to know from Greg to, to be able to helpful to be helpful to him? Well, so I think if I hear you right, you're suggesting that coaching, particularly millennial employees, sometimes they're thin-skinned and therefore, you know, maybe um, reading the fact that you you or others may be uncivil when, in fact, you're trying to improve them or coach them or give them negative feedback. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I think that's largely part of it. But I think the reality, for me at least, has been sometimes that um, – Perhaps you're trying to be the civil person, et cetera, and uh, the standard is that unless you're 100% that mm-hmm. way all the time, uh, you have some employees who are just like, well, there was this one time you were really mean to me, and I'm always going to hold that against you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. is it, are there just some employees that it's just not going to work out? Right. Yeah, well, a couple things come to mind, and Stu, I'm happy to have you jump in as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I think that it is important that we own when we we do mess up, you know, um, and we're less than, and I think acknowledging it goes a long way, you know, and Mm. so um, I would suggest that we own the times that, you know, we, we maybe came off in ways that we didn't want to or we regret, and so that would be one thing. And so I think by that, own, you mean accept, be explicit about your dismay, and to to acknowledge that there was a breach in trust, or that that you were you know acting in a way that you you know that that was that was hurtful. Exactly, and you know we mentioned Doug Conant earlier, but he's written about this, and when he took over at Campbell's and really you know helped turn the organization around with civility, even though you know it was the most important fundamental was like leading with respect and integrity there were going to be times where he and or other leaders messed up and he said it was very important to acknowledge that and Mm -hmm. to basically come back and say you know i want to do right and you know (laughs) i was i wasn't consistent then but you know i'm I'm doing my best kind of so so an inappropriate response would be Oh, come on. What are you being so thin-skinned about? I'm always nice to you. Just this one time, give me a break. Can you get over it? Exactly. Why wouldn't that work, Christine? uh, Well, I think, you know, putting them on the defensive and it's all about them. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, leaders, it's really, especially with leaders, really important that we own our mistakes and that if anything, we accept more (laughs) versus less responsibility. Um, I think we gain a lot of respect and trust that way, uh, such that people feel like, you know, um, you're looking out for them (laughs) and you care. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I I think that that would be the most important thing is acknowledging uh, and admitting when we screw up. Um, But and saying that we want to do better, you know, and I think one thing that, you know, I I love an example that Marsha Goldsmith used in his book, um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. But, you know, we most of us need others to help us with, you know, pointing out when when we are less than. Um, and so, you know, that may be an opportunity where you can check in with people and so forth. Now, having mm-hmm. said that, mm-hmm. I mean, one of my concerns with your um, 
situation is, you know, there are going to be, everyone's different. You know, this is all in the eyes of the beholder, but it's, I don't believe it's up to the leader to totally change their behavior if someone is thin-skinned. You know, I think that um, we can help coach them <laughs> and set expectations around things, but um, ultimately, you know, some people are wired more sensitively. And yes. so, you know, you can decide to, you know, uh, kind of maybe adapt a little bit to their <laughs> individual, you know, their differences. Um, but I think in reality, uh, probably we need to coach them on kind of what the norms are and things like that. If you feel like it's extreme, you know, that they're just way too sensitive or something like that. What do you think, Greg? Uh, are these ideas you yeah, can well, use? Absolutely, and I think that's very true. I tend to work in very lean organizations, so I have found that, like, when it's me and one other person, the small town, big hell concept going on. That yes, if I sense that the other person might be ultra sensitive, I do modify my behavior. Always be aware of my behavior to try to kind of bite my tongue, because the reality is, you you just can't changing employees. You really do need right. to find a way to make it work. Thank you, yeah. Greg. Really appreciate your calling work and life. Uh, Thank you. Th- yeah. The, the number again, if, uh, if you're interested in asking a question about civility and what you can do to help build a more civil workplace, a more civil society through your everyday actions, the number is 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm speaking with Christine Porath, who is the author of the wonderful and very practical, yet evidence and research-based book, Mastering Civility. So let's talk more, Christine, about what to do when you face incivility, especially as we are here in the post-reckoning Me Too world. Uh, How have things changed in the last six months as you read them? Uh, You know, to in terms of either the whole question of how we think about and act on incivility at work. Well, uh, unfortunately, incivility at work seems to be on the rise still. So um, even though I think we're paying more attention to it, you know, we're talking about it, I'm not sure that we've really improved things much. Uh, I think in the face of incivility, uh, for most people, because we are treated disrespectfully by someone that typically has more power than us, I think, you know, we may not be able to change them. And so I believe the best thing is to focus on ourselves. And the, that's the one thing that we can control. And so I think it's really important that people don't or try to avoid taking it personally. So, for example, hmm. you know, I have a friend that's a life coach, and he often will say, like, what are you going to make this mean? And so, I th- for me, it's helpful not to think about, you know, um, taking it personally. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, that if I feel demeaned in some way, I don't want to immediately feel small. You know, I want to hmm. um, think about it, you know, kind of differently. But I think the, the main thing is really trying to thrive. And I know that that sounds crazy in the circumstance, but try to feel like you have some um, momentum in moving forward in your life. And for a lot of people, that actually might be thinking about improving their personal life, you know, and, and kind of making them feel strong and happy and so forth outside of the workplace. Um, mm-hmm. But 
there are other things that you can do within the workplace, like uh, ideally working on meaningful work or things that remind us that we have this sense of purpose. Um, I think oftentimes it's turning to a mentor, um, whether that person is in our organization or outside of it, but oftentimes they can help us, you know, kind of build us up, but also suggest how we might, um, you know, navigate the situation, what we might do, who we might talk to, uh, how we might go about things. I think for many people it's important to feel like you're learning or growing or developing. And, again, that could be, in your job, um, or it could be outside of the workplace in some way. So, so I'm, I'm surrounded by assholes. Yeah. And and are, you're suggesting that what I need to try to do is to buffer myself from the those 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 ugly social forces that are undermining my self esteem and my my sense of competence and and growth to a better future. Uh, and to, and to do whatever I can with that's within my control to try to, well to to emphasize my, my what matters most to me is yes. is that characterizing it accurately your advice or is there more to it no absolutely I think that's um, a great uh, synopsis of what I suggested and you know one other you know specific thing I would throw in is really trying to take good care of ourselves by managing our energy so. Again, you know, some of us may not be sleeping well or may not feel like exercising. Exercise is a great way to actually um, kind of work out that toxicity or that uh, frustration. I see what you did there, Christine. What's that? You used workout in like two different ways? Yes, yes, I did. You, you, punned, did. you punned on workout. Well yeah. done. So, yeah, so, yeah. so working it out while working out, right? Work, so how, yeah. does, how does exercise help? Uh, well, there's a study at a Duke Medical School that has found that um, exercise is as or more effective as uh, the leading depression drug, so kind of pulling ourselves out of that rut um, that many of us find we're in when we feel, you know, treated rudely. Uh, so it, that's great. It's certainly good for our cognitive, you know, our brain power and so forth, and it lifts our mood. And so uh, not to mention, like, right afterwards we get, we're more alert, mm-hmm. we're more mindful. If we're having to, to, let's say, go back into the workplace or, you know, work with this leader or colleague that treats us this way, we're more primed to be mindful in the moment and to, you know, be the person we want to because we are more alert, we are, you know, um, feeling good, things like that. So yeah, well, so it, is this a bias of a of a former uh, <laughs> a college, a Division One two sport athlete who's just all about the physical, or is this uh, is this apply well, to everybody? I, yeah, I, it is my answer for a lot of things, but <laughs> uh, I you know I do believe in in it. But there's so much great research to yeah. back this stuff up that. Um, you know, I think it's it helps us both in dealing with incivility, but I also recommend it for again priming ourselves to be more civil. You so, know, to be ah, to yes. be in a better place mm-hmm. to, to interact well with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was an executive at Ford Motor Company for a few years. I took leave from here. It was almost twenty years ago, and one of the things that I learned in that executive role. Uh, was how important it was to simply say hello to the people who were around me, 
mm-hmm. uh, and even like the people who were um, in in roles that you know they wouldn't ever think to to speak to someone in an executive position right. because that was the nature of hierarchy in that organization where yep. the people at the top didn't you know there was a real status distinction and what I learned how, was how important it was to break those down and to yep. really cut through them by simply saying hello and. and and it's just so crucial, uh, and I find that when I when I'm mindful enough to remember to do that, and which I've tried to make a habit of in my work environment, and also like in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, I feel better, and people around me seem you know they smile. You talk yeah. about smiling in your book. Can you just say a word about that, and then we're going to have to come to wrapping up. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, smiling is, uh, you know, a way to connect with others. And apparently, you know, virtually across all cultures, it's seen as a positive nonverbal. Um, it lifts our mood, like literally, physiologically, our body changes when we smile. Um, and it, there is that contagion piece. I mean, you know, it, we have a hard time not smiling when a baby's smiling or we hear laughter or what have you. So, it really does. Um, kind of, we do pass it on to others, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, so I think that it's an important way to connect, and especially for leaders, if you want to uh, kind of send a signal that you're more approachable, you know, and that you care. Smiling is an easy, easy way to do that. Really? What if you never learned how to smile growing up? <laughs> well, the problem is that we apparently lose our ability to smile as we age uh, because all the studies talk about how, oh, wow. you know, kids smile 400 times a day and we smile far less as we grow Oh, my gosh. How do, I, yeah. how, do I counter, how do I counteract that tendency? Well, you know, I think that uh, you can paste, you know, funny pictures up. You can think of something that makes you happy. Hmm. Um, That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, you can, um, yeah, try to surround yourself by positive um, people, which is always good, you know, and people that make you laugh. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of, lot of different ways, but uh, we certainly need to spend more time uh, smiling. I'm going to ask you one more question here, and you've sort of answered it by being here and just talking about who you are and what you do and in the in the very gracious way that you have done that. Okay. Uh, but a question I've been asking all of my guests uh, this year, uh, it's our theme in 2018, compassion, uh, because we just need so much more of it in our world. So this might seem redundant, but let me ask you anyway. Um, perhaps you can take it in a different direction in this last minute. What? do you do to bring compassion to your work, to your life? I I think probably the most simple thing is I just try to put myself in other people's shoes, you know, and um, recognize that you never know what's going on in someone else's life. And so trying to give people the benefit of the doubt and trying to give more than you may, you know, want in the moment is something that you'll feel better about, you know, in the next second, the next minute, and so forth. So really kind of digging deep uh, to make sure that you are treating others um, in the most uh, civil and respectful way possible. Mm. And, and to withhold judgment about them. Yeah. I think that's hard. You know, I mean, one of the things that I, I do kind of cover is like the unconscious bias. And 
um, you know, unfortunately, we have these biases. And so trying to reserve judgment as much as possible. And, And I do think give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, as much as possible. I mean, it's really easy to misinterpret things, particularly over technology. And so... Um, reserving judgment, as you put it, I think is a is a very courageous, you know, move that's a real gift to people. In twenty seconds, can you say what's the key to being civil online? Online, uh, gosh, uh, <laughs> you know, not being defensive um, and giving people the benefit of the doubt would be one thing. Um, you know, trying not to misinterpret things uh, and um, always trying to be as pleasant as possible if if you think you are rubbing people the wrong way, you're delivering bad news, things like that. Um, you That's know, helpful. Prefer- yeah. Awesome. Christine, we're going to have to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for staying with us uh, for this hour, for visiting and taking the time to share your wisdom, your insights about your work. How can listeners find out more about your book and, and, and the rest of your work? Uh, I have a website. So it's christineporath.com and the quiz and other resources are available there. Wonderful. Thank you again. Really appreciate your spending time with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. If you have a question about the show, you can write to me, freemanatwharton.upenn.edu, or our station, Business Radio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow at BizRadio111 or me. I'm at Stu Friedman. You can hear free podcasts of this show. Share them with your friends at workandlifepodcast.com. Thanks, Patty Hall. Thanks, Tatiana Zamis. Thank you again for listening. I'm Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.